Hi, this is John Mulder, Executive Director of the Trillium Institute, along with Jason Beckrow, welcoming you to Palliative Matters. We are palliative doctors who treat patients and families who are dealing with difficult medical circumstances, and we'd like to share with you what we have learned along this journey. How are you doing today, Dr. J? Fantastic. It's a uh, cold winter day. Uh, while we record this, I see the sunshine and some snow melting, so that's making me smile and uh, hoping we can put something together here to help our patients and families smile as well. That'd be great. What you been thinking about lately? You know, recently, John, we were talking about the concept of patient stressors and family burdens, things that patients and families go through routinely. And one of these kind of started uh, rolling around in my brain, and I bet you it's something you've thought about too. And that's the concept of when patients and families are forced to think about or make decisions that um, are really difficult where the circumstances uh, could be very dire and the outcomes could be very bleak. There's a sense sometimes that there is in fact one and only one right answer. And that if the family and patient find that, then they'll do well. But if they don't, those burdens are all on the patient and family to make those perfect decisions. And I guess I've been thinking about that a lot because a lot of times there may be no perfect decision. Sometimes there's not even a best decision. We're trying to find the least bad. And what can we then as physicians and healthcare professionals do to unburden our families from that guilt or those strong feelings that may accompany their decision-making? Yeah, it sort of reminds me of uh, the old game show, door number one, door number two, door number three. And if you pick the right one, then you get the jackpot. If you pick the wrong one, you go home empty-handed. And I think that so many people have looked at the medical care system and choices and decisions that they have to make about their care as that model. And oftentimes, they're not prepared to make those decisions. And the anxiety that that produces, um, and also the, the outside pressures, uh, they'll, they'll have uh, certain physicians telling them they should go down path A because that's what that physician does. Someone else might tell them to go down path B. You might have uh, kibitzing from uh, a neighbor, well-meaning as they might be, family members who heard about somebody who had the same thing and they did this and it seemed to be great or they did that and it was terrible. Or they see headlines in the supermarket tabloids. And and how do they make those decisions? And and I think that there are some strategies that, that we probably can – can suggest it might help someone along the way. I think you're exactly right, John. And I think focusing on strategies uh, should be the key of our conversation uh, here. Because one of the first things to think about is, especially when we're dealing with advanced illness or life-threatening illness or a limited lifespan, it's very, very important that we discuss goals. What are the goals? What are the patient's goals? If we are facing, say, an advanced cancer, and uh, the goal is to extend one's lifespan, what are the goals that that individual is hoping to achieve? By clearly delineating what those goals are, then uh, patient and family can be better empowered to make decisions, especially those decisions that come down the road, and we'll know, are these uh, interventions helping me achieve my goals, 
or perhaps maybe detracting from. But again, establishing what those goals are, helping the patient have voice in those goals, and making sure that those goals are being met as best as possible under oftentimes some very difficult circumstances. Yeah, and I think it goes even necessarily beyond just what the goals are, um, because sometimes they're, they're pretty obvious and pretty simplistic. I want to live. I want this cancer to be gone, which may or may not be consistent with reality. And I think that if we're going to really help folks with the goal setting, uh, then even before that, we need to start understanding uh, what is at the heart of their values? What, what is important to them? Um, what is sacred to them? Uh, what is meaningful? Uh, and, and do they really begin to understand what the implications of this disease are? Uh, because if they, uh, if they have accurate information, then they can really begin to set those important goals based on what their values are. And as we as uh, providers, as healthcare professionals become better aware and more comfortable discussing those items, I think very, very important. Because again, to your point, those goals can seem very simplistic. You know, uh, most people wake up on most days and my hope is to make it to the end of the day without dying. But depending on where one may be in their life journey, where they may be in their disease burden, again, that can fluctuate. And so as physicians, we owe it to our patients not to assume simple goals to really get down into uh, the understanding. Your point of values is well made. Uh, I think about patients I've cared for over the years. And as a, uh, you know, my training in medical oncology, one thing I've learned is, you know, there's a whole spectrum of where people um, are, say at the beginning of their cancer journey and where they uh, may or may not progress to. I would oftentimes draw kind of my little imaginary bell-shaped curve on one end, I need to think about that patient who says, Doc, you know, if I'm going to die, I want an IV in my arm and chemotherapy going through that IV. I want to fight this thing with everything I can. I want to treat it with front line, second line, the kitchen sink, clinical trials, whatever you have, let's go after it and let's do it. That's one of the end of the spectrum and that must be respected. And then on the other end of the spectrum is the patient that says, hey, Doc, you know, I've seen what chemotherapy can do. I've seen uh, loved ones go through with some uh, pretty uh, unfortunate re, uh, reactions and things such as that. And doc, I know this cancer uh, is not good, um, but you're never gonna treat me with that chemotherapy. I wanna be very conservative in my treatments. And again, that is something that needs to be understood and respected. And then a lot of folks are kind of in between those two poles. So as providers, to very quickly uh, build a relationship with folks, uh, understand where they're at, earn their trust, and uh, begin that journey with them. The values thing, very important, John. Yeah, and what that really then leads to is the strategic importance of uh, effective communication. Uh, and that's really, I think that's on us as physicians to, uh, to make sure that we're engaging in, a, in an upfront and a, in a really um, honest way and in a vulnerable way uh, with patients so that they understand what's going on, what the options are, what the implications of all of that are. I uh, had a circumstance a few years ago in which a, uh, a friend of mine had called to ask for some advice on how to talk to a friend of his who he perceived as dying from lung cancer. You know, he was sort of the spokesperson of this 
group of friends who were following their dearly loved friend. And they just saw him killing himself, literally, that every time he would get a treatment, he would be worse off. He was bedridden. He was miserable and didn't seem to be able to really function or participate in any meaningful aspect of life. And so he said, what, you know, what can we do? How can we help? And so I, I gave them just a simple four-point path that they might be able to follow to help him with that kind of decision-making. So I, I asked him first to ask him what the doctors are telling him about what's going on. And he should be able to tell you what he understands is going on with his illness. You can then ask him, what's the plan? And within that, he should be able to tell you what the, what the doctor is planning on doing right now and hopefully even in the future. And then as part of that conversation, perhaps even what they're anticipating relative to life expectancy. The third question that I said to ask him is, so what is sacred to you? Uh, what would you like to accomplish between now and the end of your life if, in fact, life is shorter than what you had hoped it would be? And then the final question then is, are the things that you're doing right now uh, relative to the plan for this cancer helping you achieve what's important to you, or is it standing in the way of what you value? And my friend called me back a couple hours later and says, oh my, he says, that, that was amazing. He said, when I asked him those questions, he, he related what was going on, knew that he had something that couldn't be cured, and that he was going to be dying within a few months, if not sooner. Uh, when I asked him about the plan, he said, well, I don't know. We're just, we're getting chemo, and I guess we're going to keep doing that. He had no problem identifying what was important to him and what was of value to him. And then when I asked him that question about uh, if the things that they're doing is helping him achieve what's important, he realized that he was losing out on a lot of life and not able to accomplish because he was so miserable from the treatments he was getting. Called the doctor at that point in time and said, I don't want this anymore. And the doctor said, that's fine. You don't have to have it. The doctor had gone on then to say one other thing, which still to me is, is disturbing because he said, I didn't want to give that to you in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was pretty emblematic now of what happens sometimes in the medical care system. Uh, he was treating him because he assumed that that's what he wanted him to do as a physician, to just keep treating a disease. Mm -hmm. And somehow what got lost in that, in that translation and what got lost in that, in that channel of communication was an opportunity for the physician to simply say, what's important to you? so that I as a physician can help you achieve what's important to you, not how do I treat this cancer, but how do I help you achieve what's important to you? Yeah, and I'm curious if we could uh, go back a little bit as you started to introduce um, this, this patient's experience. You said early on, someone had contacted you and they were seeing that the patient, I think the words you used were effectively killing themselves. Yes. Well, that, that was with in other words, coming back from treatments looking perhaps weaker than they were when they started. Is that correct? Yeah. They, they, he came back every, said every time he just, he's miserable, mm -hmm. can't get out of bed. And it just, and by just about the time he seems to be regaining a little bit of strength, he goes back and it starts all over again. And that was seen um, probably on the patient's perspective, his loved ones. Do you think that was being seen by the medical team too, that was still treating the patients? You know, both of us work in the field of palliative medicine, and we see patients all the time who are in the midst of a lot of active treatment. Mm -hmm. 
And Let me unpack that a little bit. You said later the physician said, I really didn't want to offer it in the first place. Didn't want to give it to you in the first place. And why do you think that was? Well, I think that uh, there's, there's these built-in assumptions. Mm-hmm. You know, we started out talking about what, what, what are the goals. And I think that, and I can only surmise in this particular circumstance, the patient comes in with, with a diagnosis of cancer. And he's mm-hmm. seeking uh, input from this physician who is a cancer, cancer doctor and who recognizes you have this type of cancer and here's how we treat this type of cancer. And without really ever starting to dive down into the values orientation or what the goals are, makes an assumption, you have cancer, I'm a cancer doctor, I'm going to treat this cancer with the drugs that I use to treat cancer. That's the goal. That's my goal as a physician is to treat your cancer. That's exactly what I wanted to hit on. Again, the assumed goal. And again, most of the time that's accurate. But I think what we're trying to get across um, to all parties listening in, patients, families, uh, medical professionals, that's the assumed goal, although oftentimes accurate, not always. And at what point does that change? And can we then as medical professionals do a better job of leaning into asking is the assumed goal the accurate one? To your point, on day one, most patients, I have cancer. I'd prefer not to have cancer. Will you please do everything you can to rid my body of this cancer? Pretty safe bet, wouldn't you say, John? I think it's a very safe bet. What I would love to see is the next part of it is mm-hmm. uh, here's how we treat it, and here are the consequences of treating it. Mm-hmm. It'll help me to Pro- understand what's important to you yep. so that when we get to these various um, points within the therapy, um, I will know whether we want to push beyond what your body may be able to effectively tolerate. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be dependent upon what the goals are. And what changed here was over time, the patient was empowered to a certain degree to first of all, explain his understanding of the disease of the treatment plan to articulate uh, what goals are important, to evaluate, are these treatments helping me achieve these goals, and then make a true informed decision uh, in sort of a shared decision-making way about future treatment, again, based on is it helping elevate me to achieve or is it detracting from? Your friend's family saw that early on, that it seemed as though he was weaker after treatments rather than better, they were having those concerns. And you put, I really loved your four points questions. First, to the patient, what is your understanding of your disease, your diagnosis, your prognosis, and things such as that? What is the plan? What is your understanding of the treatment options? Those two things alone start to empower people. Uh, You educate them, you empower them, what is sacred to you? That's a beautiful question, John. Because um, again, once that's understood by all parties, the assumed goal may stay. The assumed goal of simply wanting to live as long as possible likely will change. We've seen in our careers and most of us, how many times it's been, uh, there's a wedding coming up, maybe the birth of a first grandchild, uh, some type of event And when someone can articulate that, and now they're empowered to make decisions that best lead to that happening, if nothing else, have you experienced that sense of uh, control? Again, cancer and life-limiting illness takes away so much control. 
And if we can cede that back to the patient, how did their quality of life do once they were empowered to ask the questions that you delineated and sort of be more empowered in their decision-making, John? What was interesting in that particular circumstance is that what my friend related back to me is after he had gone through this dialogue, and this was just a couple hours uh, later, when the patient then called his physician said, I don't want this anymore. The doc said, you don't have to. He said the change in demeanor and countenance was palpable, that mm-hmm. his, his affect was brighter. His mood was more positive. He was more encouraged. Now, what had happened in those two hours? Obviously, there was, there was no magic drug that had taken effect. Mm-hmm. The only change at that point in time was he felt he was now uh, in control of his destiny and had been able to express what was important to him and now follow a path that would respect and reflect that. Think of that concept of control. And to all medical professionals listening in, I think one of the main things we would love for you to take away from this discussion, disease takes so much away from our patients. It, it, it leads to suffering because you, uh, the sense of a person's wholeness is, is now compromised. All of us are listening in today and we're at various points in of our lives and we're thinking about the future and we have goals and disease can be thrown in the middle of that tomorrow, next week, next year, whenever, but it can grossly be changed. And when that happens, a person's life and really the life of that entire family, everyone who loves that family. I, I routinely say cancer When you're in a room of people and you ask everyone who's personally had cancer to raise your hand, a fraction of hands goes up. Then you ask, who here loves somebody who's been affected by cancer, right? Every hand goes up. And so losing that sense of control, what can we now as medical professionals do to help seed that back? To your point, no drug was given, no surgery was done. But something very powerful happened. You empowered the patient to express what's important to them. You empowered them to ask questions that are important to them. And they were empowered to make decisions best for them. And remember, what's best for patient A may be different for patient B or C. What is right for me today might be different a week from today. It's all kind of in flux. And if we're all tuned into that, that the assumed goal is not always accurate and to be asking what is the definitive goal, maybe we'll do a better job of meeting at that important point. Goals and values. Goals and values. It's what it comes down to. And uh, this has really been a great conversation. And I think that we're probably going to find ourselves exploring this in other of these podcasts as well. But this has been great. I appreciate your comments and your thoughtfulness and uh, what you've shared with us today. We thank you for being with us today. And we invite you to tune in to additional podcasts in this series. Again, for Palliative Matters, this is John Mulder and Jason Beckrow. And have a wonderful day.